あとはドリームキャストの発売を待つばかりだセガサターン Hey you Hello, once again, Sega fans, and good evening again to those that are tuning in on Radio Sega. Here it is, the Sega guys with a fortnightly dose of Sega goodness. I am Dan the Mega Driver, and with me, as ever, devouring cider by the can. It's the CA games to my computer exchange, Rathbone Street. It's James the Sagaholic. How you doing, mate? <laughs> Not bad, mate, honestly. <laughs> now, see, these are two weeks apart, right? But obviously, if you're listening on Podbean or iTunes or whatever it is, like, later on, this will make sense, what you've just said. But, yes, we're recording these. Well, well, we have an opportunity to get episodes in the bag for the listeners. We've got the topics laid out. We know what we want to talk about. Um, but... Yeah, I've, I've had a couple and I've got a couple sitting here, so the, the tongue's getting loosened, but the the passion for Sega is undiminished. Uh, you, you can sugarcoat it all you want, mate. Everyone on Radio Sega listening now live knows that you've been drinking for two straight weeks. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> mate, see the way this home move's going? Don't, don't tempt me, honestly. Jesus Christ, man. Honestly, between solicitors and mortgage advisors and uh, boring stuff for, for a, a gaming podcast, but honestly, they say moving and having a kid are the two most stressful things you can do as an adult. And up until about a week and a half ago, like the home move was going all too well. Like our house sold in for a week. We've got a house at closing date. First house we went for, offer accepted. Brilliant. We're moving. Yes. Uh, and then things have just started to grind to a wee bit of a halt with kind of technicalities and paperwork and God knows what else. So, aye, boring stuff for a gaming podcast, but trust me, mate, the way things have gone, I could drink for two full weeks. <laughs> Don't ever move house, people. <laughs> no, I'm staying where I am as much as I can. But that's, uh, that's why we do this, mate, because... Uh, this is our release and where we get to, to bask in the in the warm blue glow of Sega, is it? Yes, those blue skies beating down on us. Because uh, at the end of the day, we're just a, a, a couple of blokes that, that love this company so much, yes. especially the, in their in their heyday. Which uh, reminds me, um, and probably something that we probably should should touch on, is uh, a big thanks to uh, the, uh, the Sega magazine. That was kindly sent over to us. Yes, in promo form. Yes, um, a brilliant project that those guys are doing over there, and, and kind of paying kind of homage to the, the the gaming or the Sega gaming magazines of the past. Um, I seen that they said they're, they're toying with the idea of doing a demo CD on issue four, um, and I love the fact that so many people came out and said, as long as you put a template underneath where the CD says. Oh, the CD goes oh, and, yeah. and it says no CD please see your news agent only certain people at a certain age <laughs> understand that and I thought that was brilliant um, and I think they said that they're, they're, they're going to just do that for the sake of it just because they want to put that on there but um, no the, the guys they, they kind of sent us a preview a digital copy on, on preview and I like the fact that they were 
um, they were trying to kind of recapture that tone. The letters page was brilliant, that kind of sarcastic lad humour that you always got in the letters pages, the sarcastic replies from the, the kind of editors and the, the writers on there. So, no, it, it definitely gave me, um, you know, the kind of Sega Saturn magazine slash CVG vibes. So, I think that they took that as a compliment whenever I said that to them because that's the kind of era they're aiming at and maybe obviously a wee bit before with it being kind of Mega Drive and stuff like that, maybe like Mean Machines and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but no, great work, guys. Keep it coming. Um, you can follow us on Twitter and, and you'll see us obviously interacting with those guys quite often. Um, so is it Mania Sega is their, their Twitter name? I think that, I think it's Mania Sega. Yep. Uh, it's their Twitter handle, yep. and the magazine is Sega-Mania.com. Yeah. Is the it's the website? Yeah. But yeah, as I say, they're just a, just a bunch of guys like that that are huge fans of Sega. And um, when I first saw the account, um, I, I fell in love with it instantly. And I think uh, Retro Boy John was sharing a few pages of it, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is amazing!" And I was trying to order it, and unfortunately, I couldn't get my order through. And I pay, pay, tried for a few days after. It's in the mail that they've got had a few technical difficulties. So I'm going to. As it stands, I'm tr- still trying to order a, a physical version of it. But uh, yeah, that preview version that uh, he supplied us, supremely grateful for. Absolutely top-notch piece of work. Really evokes that that feeling of the era. And I love the idea of, ha- of having CD missing. <laughs> but I mean... <laughs> it's, uh, it's like... Uh, and um, I mentioned this on the last episode, reading through the Sonic the Comics at the moment and listening to Sonic the Podcast. And uh, yeah, that, a lot of the time I see on the front cover, you know... Sonic tattoos missing. Contact your news agent. <laughs> Oi, me news agent stole me tattoos. <laughs> Guy standing there with a bunch of tattoos on him, and then you can see a little Sonic the Hedgehog. What do you mean? <laughs> oh, but yeah, it's a fantastic mag. So definitely encourage all of our listeners to check out check out their Twitter, check out the website. It's a fantastic magazine. Uh, support support these guys because it's an amazing piece of work mm-hmm. uh, and absolutely beautiful. Really, something. Of its age, and um, speaking of something that's of its age, that kind of brings us to to this episode's topic, uh, which is the age-old, almost lost art of importing. Oh, what an era! <laughs> what an era, indeed, mate. Uh, so, you know, what is important? Um, I, I don't know if if it's something that we need to explain to the to the guys of the day. Do you think? Well, the ones kind of suggest what what the action is um i guess but when we're talking game terms yeah um i I mean i think for people these days importance is simple as going on ebay and you see that there's a version of a game in japan and you just you know like you you go on your your mad japanese auction site and get like crazy hauls of games you know, and, and peripherals that come through in giant yeah. boxes that you need to explain to your missus. Well, I'm selling half of it, so don't worry, I've turned the profit <laughs> before you get de-sacked in the hallway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's important um, back when the era that we're talking about, obviously, you kind of, for me, important began with the Dreamcast. Um, but it goes back way longer. We we into the Mega Drive era, maybe even the Master System era. There's always been a market for early adopters and people who just have to have the latest stuff to to get it from Japan because 
there was a time when you know the latest and greatest came out in Japan first, uh, and you didn't see it over here for a year. You know, yeah, sometimes longer. Yeah, um, yep. Japan got so Japan would get something, America would get it six months down the line, and then even later than that, sometimes if ever. Hi, <laughs> and what we get onto that. It would eventually crawl over to power territories, and us poor European uh, peasants <laughs> <laughs> would finally get our hands. It's like I think I think um, yeah, it was one. It was a way of getting your hands on stuff that either wasn't available yet in power territories or didn't come over at all. Um, and there was, you know, it, initially there was I think in the early eighties. Or in, sorry, in the late eighties, there wasn't much of a market, especially with home computers, because home computers were so well supported. I mean, the power territories were there, were where they were thriving, really, weren't they? Mm-hmm. They didn't really have an import scene, but uh, when once consoles started appearing, and especially since but once we moved into sixteen bit, then uh, the scene really rose to prominence. Aye, um, and again, it was it was just it was a scene unto itself, you know. Um, there, there was people who would literally exclusively game from the import scene. You know, they wouldn't even bother with, with PAL regions at all. Um, and it, it was, it was just, it was a great, great time in gaming whenever... It, it seems really strange today, the way... that I said this on Twitter so many times, as gaming has got more social, it's got more disconnected. Um, that Everybody's so closer together and global dates you know there's everything comes out at the same time you pre-order it on a digital store and one minute past midnight your download becomes activated and <laughs> yeah. off you go you don't even need to queue at a shop at midnight for a PAL launch anymore for anything you know it's let alone having to wait a year for something to come from Japan but this was an era when Japan was king the latest and greatest came from Japan whether it was from you know Sega Nintendo even Sony, um, we'll go on to Sony and their, their, their practices when it comes to imports later on. Um, but yeah, this was a time when, you know, if you wanted the latest and greatest stuff and you wanted it now, you had to import. And it also led to a rise in specialist stores who dealt with that, um, who who also sold, you know, domestic games, but they dabbled in, they had contacts out there that were able to get their hands on stock of Japanese titles. Um, and it did become this very, you know, wonderful window into. It was almost an a, a, an exotic part of gaming. It was like it was oh yeah stuff that wasn't out yet, stuff that might not come out. And um, you were getting to see things like early, you know, and running better than it would run on your system because obviously sixty hertz and you know NTSC being a thing long before Dreamcast brought in the sixty hertz option, but. Um, I mean, I've mentioned the shop on here before so many times. There's the CA Games, which is now defunct, but there was other places in Glasgow. There was uh, GeForce, also recently, sadly now defunct, and the last of the indie stores in, in Glasgow is now gone. So we're, we're literally stuck with digital stores and, and game um, and high street stores like HMV until they shut down for the 40th time and went to administration. But um, <laughs> yeah. it, it's... It's quite sad to see, for me anyway, who who grew up in part of that era. I, you know, as I said, the Dreamcast was my first my first import machine. But it really is sad to see how 
limited the purchasing of games. New games has become. Um, it almost takes some of the kind of the fun and the the try to think of the best words here, but the you know the allure of of a new title um, is almost removed. It's very clinical, very direct, very right into your home. Minute past midnight, as I said, turn the computer or your console on, boom, it's there. Um, and it's it's just a shame that there are people who are too young to have a, to have lived in that era and experienced that because it was a wonderful, wonderful time. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, mate, around how it felt like you were getting something exotic or mysterious, or you just felt you just felt something extremely special by having something that either a you had it early, or b you had it and it wasn't coming out, or c you had it and it performed better than than our poor power units because the whole sixty hertz scene really did start to explode in the in the early 90s um beginning with kind of the 16-bit era i believe it was a, a lot of that can be kind of traced back to mean machines uh when it was originally just mean machines rather than mean machine when it split off and did its own mean machine sega and uh, and those sort of things but when it was the original mean machines and it covered the uh the super consoles which was uh, at the time uh it's the, the the then current in the uk master system and what was the next big thing, according to them, a console that was doing exceedingly well over in its native country of Japan, which was the PC Engine, and which never really came out over in over in Europe, and definitely didn't come out in the UK. There's PAL versions that exist, but the the PC Engine would be the the, the domain of the of the importer only. Um, things like uh, the the Mega Drive, we covered it on now. 30th Sega Mega Drive anniversary. We got that. The anniversary itself, wasn't it, mate? That was two years after the <laughs> Japanese one. I, if, if somebody, somebody from Japan ever tuned into this podcast and going, 30 years? No, we, we've passed that. It's, it's long gone. Yeah. <laughs> I think from memory, we say actually on the episode, don't we? They're saying, oh, it's, no, it's not a mistake. We're going from the PAL release. Date. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whereas it released in Japan in 1988, it released in the US in 1989, and we didn't get it in the UK until 1990. Bloody hell, you know what I mean? And that's what we're talking about, it's like, like, it's kind of sad to me, I don't know about yourself, mate, but I do miss, like, Japan being king, you know, I, I do miss that that buzz, like, you used to, like, in, my, in like, the gaming magazines, you would get these little crappy low-resolution photographs and a... a a feature section of a magazine and it would be like the Japanese launch and just the sight of Sunday in Japan holding up the bag with the logo of the latest console. Oh, you know, it just seemed so, so distant and so like, Oh, I can't wait till that comes out over here. Um, and I'm not saying I want to wait two years for things. Obviously we've got accustomed to, to the very globalization of gaming, but the, I just miss whenever, Japan kind of innovated and, and the, the best stuff was in Japan and obviously that was, you know, I had dreams to, to one day go there and, and to visit the gaming scene over there and maybe, don't know, when I'm, I'm older I might get a chance to, to do that and visit the retro stores and, and pick up some gems if I can get through customs with 14 suitcases for the <laughs> Saturn Dreamcast and Mega Drive stuff. Nothing to declare, sir. Not a thing. 
It's Akihabara Street, isn't it? Aye. One of my my mates in work, him and his his, uh, his girlfriend go quite often and he he sent me pictures and it's just like piles of Dreamcasts, like shrink-wrapped. And they're like like 40, 50, 40 odd quid or something like that. It works at it. I'm like, mate, see next time you go, just take an empty suitcase and fill it up for me. It's like, please. But... uh, I just I, I do miss that that whole kind of J- Japan innovating and stuff coming out over there first, and then you haven't a you know you look from afar and, and see what the latest and greatest was. It was it was a great time. It really was. I mean, it's a double edged sword because everything now is so convenient, and as you say, you you on, <laughs> on Xbox now you can preload games. I mean. Aye. You know, it's so that it's ready. Midnight goes. You don't know even downloading. It's already downloaded and it pops, and you're ready to play. Right. Where's, where's, <laughs> um, where's, the, where's the fun? I'm sorry, I know, but like that's what I says at the start of the show. You don't even need to like leave your house to go to your pal midnight launch anymore. No, you know? no. Those days when uh, people used to queue out round the street to get the latest Call of Duty, they're long gone. Right. Long gone, mate. That's it. Yeah, um, it it is convenient. And uh, it does feel good that we're not so much missing out on a bunch of stuff anymore because there was a lot of stuff that we did miss out on, uh, especially, as you know, people should know, you and I are massive Saturn fans. Um, importing for that console in its later years is, and well, and today really is, uh, is, is a must because of the sheer amount of titles that didn't come out in the West uh, and they were held to Japan only. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, it's a double-edged sword, but because we we don't really miss out on an awful lot now, even stuff that was, you know, niche and in Japan and didn't come over here. We're getting more and more of that now. Stuff like Yakuza was kind of at one point seen to be too un- unprofitable to be released a mass in, in the West, and now thankfully that's no longer the case. Um, I think I like think I think Yakuza and and Ball in Wonderland, as much as it gets panned, I think those are kind of games that. Maybe back in the day that we were talking about like pre Dreamcast, they wouldn't have come over here. Yeah, absolutely. If, even down to Sakura Wars, got an English translation, you know, on Hi. on modern consoles. Um, we don't need to tell our listeners that that was a, a Saturn and later Dreamcast series that did not leave its home territory uh, and didn't get localized. So I think there, there, there definitely probably would have been a law to picking those up. Um, I mean, I've got a copy. I feel very proud of my copy, and I stick it in. I don't know what the hell is going on. <laughs> That's why you get yourself a, a second Saturn with a fan reading it, mate, and get that English translated Sakura Wars on there. Absolutely, that's 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 the plan, mate. I think I, I think it's a necessity at this point. I'll have my physical versions, and but then I think I'll have the 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 ODE so I can uh, so I can play them translated. I mean, because at the moment I'm... the the box for for Sakura Wars, the artwork on it for the Japanese Saturn version is gorgeous. Yeah, it is. Um, I think that touches on another reason why people might import as well is just because <laughs> historically Japan box art was just so much oh. better than what we got over here. Yep. I mean, I think in the main, PAL box art, especially on Sega stuff, tended to be closer to the Japanese. If you look at Sonic, like the way Sonic got very Americanized, whereas we got the Japanese cover. Um, Other games that come to mind is like uh, Crazy Taxi. In Japan, 
it just had the yellow background with the Crazy Taxi logo, but in, in the US they got this overly complex, ridiculous looking, like looking at the front of the taxi with like a version of Axel that looks nothing like the game version where like people hanging out the side of the taxi and all this kind of stuff. So sometimes we did get, we tended to get the Japanese artwork on some games, which was quite good. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, stuff like Golden Axe, uh, Altered Beast. So yeah, the, the Altered Beast would get like the window on the Mega Drive case that uh, is basically the Japanese art, but then the Japanese box wraps all the way around the case and looks glorious. Um, but then you get stuff like Strider, which you know he's he he just looks like uh, I don't know, like someone from Gladiators with blonde <laughs> hair on the on the, on the Western cases. Um, so, whereas in the Japanese box art, it's got the proper Strider Hiryu, um, not arcade flyer and all that aye, stuff. So aye. it just looks so much better. I mean, even Panzer Dragoon, um, I think Panzer Zvaya, three different box arts for that. And the Japanese one is like the mural mm-hmm. with it, and it looks absolutely gorgeous. Yep. And then we've got our one, which is uh, Largi and Lundy taking flight. Um, which looks great, and then you've got the US one, which looks oh, <laughs> I the the Panzer Dragoon, the, the even the first game, uh, the Japanese box is is gorgeous, and that's what I like. Oh, yeah, and that's what I like about Japanese cases as well. They were just CD cases, yeah, yeah. I, that's one thing I've never understood, never understood this, right? So, Sega Saturn had. CD dual case. Well, the Mega CD had CD dual cases in every in uh, power and Japanese territories. That all worked, didn't it? And then we went to the Saturn, and that had CD dual cases in Japan, the plasticky, flimsy boxes in in Europe, which thankfully got replaced with DVD like cases later. And then you had the great big plastic things that fall apart in in, <laughs> in the US. The PlayStation CD dual cases in Japan. Then you had the, the 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 big plastic boxes over here. They're like they're like almost CD case, but not that you know they fall apart if you breathe on them. Mm-hmm. And then the Dreamcast again, dual cases in Japan. And then the horrible, <laughs> terrible blue thing. If you if you breathe on a PlayStation case in in Europe, the case falls apart. But if you even look at a Dreamcast case, right. it disintegrates. And it's not because you've got heat vision like Superman. It's just because they're flimsy pieces of shit. I mean, before my, my GD-ROM died and I went on to, to a GDMU, and every time I ordered a game, like, from the internet or from CEX, like, to be fair, like, CEX ones would come through, like, they wouldn't fit through the letterbox because they used to even wrap these things in bubble wrap, right? But, yeah. I mean, I remember I ordered F355 Challenge and uh, the guy showed his, his picture, this this perfect the, the two hinges were intact great condition he put it in a jiffy bag mate and literally whenever it dropped through my my, my letterbox i picked it up and all i could hear was a rattling around of plastic and i'm like oh for christ's sake and it, what's the seller going to do he's he's despite all right he shouldn't have put it in a jiffy bag for a start right but there's no way that's a, like dreamcast games pal dreamcast games just will not survive but you know, Japanese case. Oh, you accidentally sat on your case. I'll just go to Willie's and buy a ten pack of empty CD cases. Yeah, <laughs> and just transpose my background and 
insert into the new case, pop my disc in, and away we go. Absolutely. Job done. That's it. I've had to do that with a few. Um, yeah, I, I try to avoid buying power Dreamcast games if I can. <laughs> Usually they don't support VGA either. But that's, well, that's, I, another, that's another story. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just tons of reasons, I think, mate, to, to import back in the day. Just because, just as we said, games not coming here, games being late, games not running at full speed, games with better box art, games, uh, game cases that aren't crap <laughs> <laughs> and don't fall apart. I just got to glue my uh, glue my virtual racing satin case back together because the cardboard's come off. <laughs> I mean, they were never made to last, were they? No, 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 those, no they weren't those, those cardboard ones. The, the thing is, they'll literally see if one dries up and comes off, it's literally four tiny wee dollops of glue, two in each bit. Yeah, it is. It's <laughs> like they're not held on well at all. No, I think I think the second generation of cases were good, but Aye. those first ones are terrible. Aye, but mate, you couldn't be open them. No. See no. the DVD ones, it was like breaking into Fort Knox. Uh, I mean, I think it was at Sonic R. It was either Sonic Art or Duke Nukem 3D that my, my good mate Sam got. It was the first one that had that new case. And we couldn't get the bugger open. It's like, <laughs> we want to play this game. It's like, it was absolutely solid. So you went from, you know, because you know yourself, like there wasn't an actual clip on the, the, the original Saturn cases. They were just like yeah, a, a little kind of tiny thin block of plastic and then the other side was a wee slit that that block went into and you were relying on suction to kind of hold them together yeah <laughs> and and they just fell open all the time they were just horrid horrid things yeah <laughs> they were I, I, i'm trying to remember off the top of my head which game i struggled with but i remember getting one home and just like i'm just i'm just play this play this game <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear, but uh, yeah, as you say, mate, lots of reasons to import. Um, but um, first time I saw an, an imported console, uh, I think it was a Mega Drive. Uh, God, I'm, I must be must be early nineteen ninety or eighty nine, and at the time I didn't really know what I was looking at. <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> But yeah, it was, um, I, for some reason, for some reason, I've always been fortunate with friends as far as uh, video games are concerned because uh, I could, I would have been what six at the time. I remember Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was like brand new at the time, and um, we were playing. We were having a play date with a friend. He's like, "Hey, come and have a look at this thing my brother's just got." And so we went up into his brother's room, and his brother had all loads of cool stuff. For some reason, he had like sealed Marvel comics in plastic sleeves and stuff. But uh, he had a, he had it was the first time I'd seen a Mega Drive. And it had a altered beast on there uh, playing, and at the time I was like blown away. So I didn't even have a have a console. I don't think I, oh, I had. A, I would have had my Commodore sixty four at that point, um, but I didn't have a console. And I was just like, wow, these massive sprites, blah blah blah. And I remember then it had the. I remember that the Mega Drive had the big sixteen bit like enlarged on it. It had the the purple reset button and everything like that, and the red that uh, like trim around the power button and stuff. And uh, yeah, it wasn't until later that I realised, oh shit, he must have had that imported from Japan because that wasn't a that wasn't a PAL version. So that was kind of the first time I'd ever seen 
anything that had import had, had been imported. But uh, do you remember when you first saw an import? Not necessarily got one yourself. Um, again, it was it was it was Saturn uh, and and CA games. So again, that that kind of ties into the whole kind of arcade thing, where the games that I would play in the arcades, you know, up the town. Um, occasionally, you would catch the ports of those in CA games. I mean, the, the three that come to mind um, are Fighting Vipers, Last Bronx, and Sega Touring Car. So they were ones that I seen um, on import on the Saturn up at Charlie's, um, and this was back. I mean, this is how long it was. Like Charlie's shop used to be really, really small, um, and maybe Stewie, if he's listening, Stewie's kind of similar ages to myself, and I'm sure he's mentioned that he's been up to CA games before they they were long shut down. But Charlie's shop used to be like an upside down L, so you looked in the door <clears throat> and it went up and then took a sharp left-hand turn, upside down L, and the cash desk was in the top right-hand corner, and up above him, he always had a Japanese Saturn running. But when you walked in the shop, it was like one side was PlayStation, the other side was Nintendo, and then the Sega stuff was kind of round the corner. You know, the the, the, the kind of the upside-down L, you went round to the left-hand yeah. side. And it was always... And that's just where my, my mean and, and Sam always used to spend most of their time. And I can I can I can visualize what I'm talking about it, you know, picking up, you know, what Japanese cases and and he just had like a shelf for PAL and a shelf for like Japanese releases. He never had any American games. Always remember that he never stocked any American stuff. It was only either PAL or Japanese. Um, but I just always remember seeing like Sega Touring Car. I can literally visualize seeing Sega Touring Car for the first time. And again. You know, you'd read about it at Sega Saturn magazine as a preview, um, but seeing this the actual finished game running and it looked brilliant. The, the, for me, you can still play the Japanese version again, similar to the kind of Daytona stuff we spoke about in the last episode. But you know, if you play the game at sixty hertz, it does remove some of the the kind of judderiness of of the game. Um, it's definitely more playable at sixty hertz. Uh, and likewise, like Last Bronx, I had no idea Last Bronx was coming to Sega Saturn at that point. I was like, "Wow, what's this? It's like <laughs> it's like Soul Blade, but for Saturn, but set in Japan." We Soul Blade for cool kids. I Soul Blade for cool kids. I <laughs> like a- anime Soul Blade, but set in the streets of Japan, uh, neon lit streets, and it just it was it was just brilliant to to see these games and obviously you. You got to see the kind of difference in the system as well to what the one you had, and um, you know, the first one he had was the, the kind of grey one, um, which I did own at one point, um, and then he had the white one again, one I did own at one point. This is going to make me cry this episode, honestly. James, tell us what you used to have and now don't. Um, but no, just so it was, it was definitely I, I, not like yourself. I didn't have any kind of Mega Drive. Um, import experience at all. It was it was just a Sega Saturn, um, and, and kind of witnessing those games at Charlie's. Um, in terms of importing my own console, that wouldn't come until until the Dreamcast, and um, you know Charlie and, and CA Games had a, a massive role to play in that as well. Yeah, I, it's it's great that you saw one in a shop because I didn't actually see one in a shop um, until I until I got my Saturn modded. <laughs> a few years later i mean i'd say in 1990 was when i first saw a mega drive um and i saw another one 
around 93. Uh, again, a friend, I think it was his uncle, um, had one. Um, there's a story about borrowing Wonder Boy, which I've shared before. Um, but his uncle was playing Wonder Boy, but again, he had the Japanese Mega Drive. Um, so I've seen two import Mega Drives growing up, and that same friend who showed me his older brother's Mega Drive, uh, he was the first one to introduce me to Street Fighter 2. And obviously, Street Fighter 2, I think, was I think that was the, the game that tipped so many people in that era over over into the mm-hmm. import realm, wasn't it? Yep, aye. Um, I can see why as well. Um, and again, you know, Street Fighter 2 being the kind of phenomenon that it was, uh, the attention it was kind of gathering. Um, and obviously, if you if you played it in the arcades and then you played it on the, the Super Nintendo or, you know, the, the Mega Drive version negated the PAL slowdown, you know, by having the, you know, the, the hyper stars that you could ramp up. Uh, and then the Super Nintendo had obviously Street Fighter 2 Turbo, which kind of helped negate that. But at the time you were playing World Warriors, um, if you played the PAL version, man, it was so slow and those big borders. Um, and I think, you know, kind of going forward a wee bit, I think the game that kind of pushed importing in the 32-bit era, and Sega Saturn magazine had a lot to do with it, and it was X-Men versus Street Fighter on the Saturn. 100%. It's funny, actually, isn't it? It's kind of like both times it was Capcom which <laughs> yep. to, uh, to import. It was Ryu and his friends. He <laughs> brought the X-Men to the party. One. <laughs> uh, yeah, because yeah, Street Fighter 2 was massive because I think it was the arcade game was white hot in 91. Then the SNES port came in early summer 91 in Japan and the US and it didn't come out in power territories until the end of the year in 1992. But um, yeah, the, the power and that was the slow power version, as you say, mate. But yeah, my first import was X Men. Well, it was actually Marvel Superheroes versus Street Fighter. All right. Yeah, because um, so as we as we ref- as a reference in the intro, um, obviously you went to CA Games, but my haunt, my retro haunt, and the first time I ever seen a foreign video game for sale. Because when it was all my mates, it was just some sort of witchcraft. They managed to get these these, these foreign games <laughs> somehow. You know, these brand new things that weren't even out. It's not even out in this country yet, mate. <laughs> they managed to get they managed to get their hands on it. It was like some sort of witchcraft, or I don't know. I don't know. I can't remember what my young mind thought. I was just, I, whether it was like ties to the mafia or something like that. He, he's he's flown to Japan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's, he's just got over the plane to Japan and brought this back. <laughs> um, yeah, but then the first the first shop that I ever went into that I actually sold imports was Computer Exchange in Rathbone Street, a Rathbone place in uh, near Tottenham Court Road in London, um, and that was uh, that was Aladdin's cave in there. It was absolutely ima- amazing. I remember the top floor was just uh, the racks were so tight. Just uh, there, the, the power section near the top door. But as you went back, I remember seeing the glass cases, and in them, you, I, I think on one set you had. I remember in one there was Deep Fear, uh, Marvel Superheroes versus Street Fighter, King of Fighters '97, Castlevania, all all Saturn games. Um, Jeez, and they were all there for fairly reasonable prices. I think I bought Marvel Superheroes versus Street Fighter was forty quid. <laughs> Castlevania was 35 because that was a budget game in Japan but yeah um, it was and <laughs> we seem to have mentioned him in the last episode as well and I think we've mentioned him a few times in this podcast but I think uh, his 
his link with the Saturn is undeniable. But Mr. Richard Ledbetter and his push mm-hmm. in Sega Saturn magazine yep. to say, look, I think there was a whole guide at one point, just how to get your Sega Saturn Switch. That's right. Uh, switch, yeah, was, switch your Saturn and, and import this game. It was it, absolutely. It became a monthly occurrence. Like, even like, replies and letters. Like, someone would, would send a letter in going, uh, is X-Men versus Street Fighter coming to the PAL area? And it was like, no, this is unlikely. But get your Saturn switched. We have put a list of suppliers in the ads. Rich. <laughs> it was like... <laughs> yeah. I remember they did a, a big Q&A section on it. And uh, I can't remember any of it apart from this one section. And the question was, it was like an FAQ. Uh, frequently asked questions. One of the questions was, my television doesn't support 60 hertz. What will happen if I plug my Saturn into it? It's like, you will get a um, uh, some interference in your picture, but don't worry, your TV won't explode into a giant fireball killing your whole family. <laughs> I, remember, I remember that last bit. Word from See, and again, that's the kind of, the, the tone that the, the Sega Mania guys are, are kind of capturing, just to kind of mention them again, that, that, that kind of, sarcastic response kind of lad humor so i great stuff yeah yeah so i think it was um not it would have been early early 98 that uh yeah it was kind of the right ones on the wall with the sega saturn um i think we'd lived in hope that x-men versus street fire would get a pal or western release it never did so taking mr ledbutter's advice took my me and my friend took my consoles down to computer exchange got the the mod in i think the mod was 50 quid to get the the region switch and the 50 60 hertz switch um and walked out with marvel superheroes versus street fighter under my arm and uh played the absolute tits off it. <laughs> and, uh, it was and i started playing a bunch of my games at 60 hertz like uh, street fighter alpha 2 daytona usa all games that had terrible no very bordered very slow power ports uh, just got a brand new lease of life and uh, yeah, that was that was the very first thing that I imported myself. So, uh, what, what was yours, mate? What was your very first importing experience? Well, that would be my Dreamcast. Um, again, just April '99. I'd started putting money by um, towards it, uh, and the plan was to get it, you know, um, with my birthday money in May. They can arrest all of it, uh, but my my mum and my uncle put the the rest to it early. Uh, and allowed me to pick it up, and as I said, I didn't get much change out of 500 quid, but I got it with, with Virtua Fighter 3, uh, and a step-down converter, um, and while bringing that home, and just carrying that big orange box with the, the, the clear handle with all the pictures of the, the the Sega president at the time all over the back of it, all kind of pictures from the, the Japanese adverts, um, oh, what a day whenever that that box was handed over the counter to me, honestly. Uh, and getting it home, and, and obviously Sam knew I was getting it. It's because, like, I mentioned Sam a lot on this podcast because a, a lot of my gaming memories are, are kind of linked to him. I mean, him and I met um, at the tail end of primary school, grew up together, best pals through secondary school, and we literally, like, through summer holidays or weekends, we would literally, we used to stay like, two blocks apart so it was like a, literally like a two minute walk to, to each other's house and we would just walk to CA Games and the CA Games we used to live in Scotston and uh, in, in kind of west of Glasgow um, and to walk to CA Games you're talking about maybe like a 40 minute walk and we would just walk and talk about games and 
what we'd read in Sega Saturn magazine and what we were playing and what games we wanted. And then you'd go up there and obviously you would you would see the latest games. And that kind of carried on through to the kind of Dreamcast era. Um, so he knew I was getting, obviously, my Dreamcast at that point and, and it, it, it came up whenever, um, you know, obviously I'd got home with it and we just played Virtua Fighter 3 and only had one controller that came with it. Uh, oh. But it, we just took to- and it was mind-blowing. Just again, another port, much like the Daytona stuff we've spoke about, a much maligned port. But again, at that time, it was like I, if I remember, I had a, a 4B3 Toshiba CRT at the time that was kind of a big grey one and it was built onto a stand with a glass door. Um, I remember putting the Dreamcast onto that and it came with a SCART cable as well. That's right, it was a, a that was in the price as well. It came with a SCART, and I just remember. The, the jaws hitting the floor but just there was no jaggies like th- this was like a quantum leap from like Virtua Fighter 2 or anything that was on like PlayStation 1 you were blown away by just what you were seeing going on in a screen such a jump um, and again CA games would continue to be a kind of go-to and I'm sure we'll go into it later on but memories of seeing Shenmue for the first time on Japanese import and Charlie's um seen the whale uh, before I bought my Dreamcast, but seeing the, the that's when I first seen the, the the killer whale scene in Sonic Adventure was up at Charlie's. Um, we've seen it up there and just could not believe Power Stone, seen it up there for the first time, Soul Calibur, um, seen it up there and then managed to blag a, a copy from Partick Game Station because the poor bugger didn't know what he was selling. A Japanese copy of Soul Calibur for 35 quid. <laughs> I felt like I robbed the guy, man, honestly. Um so no wonder he shut down six months later if he was selling stuff like that for 35 notes. But I just, importing um, has got such a hook in, in, in my gaming past and some of my, my, my really, my, my best gaming memories. I've got lots of great memories of like kind of Xbox and 360 and, you know, current gaming. But um, I don't think anything will ever top that kind of like mid-90s to kind of, late 90s early 2000s where you know before dreamcast died off that that kind of window at the end of the saturn's life to the kind of end of the dreamcast life was just a a window where importing was just brilliant and then because of the dreamcast um and even though i had the saturn i then retrospectively went back and started importing saturn as well um so i had like the gray console i had the white console i had the House of the Dead gun pack, I had the Virtua Cop pack, I had the 3D controller pack with Fun Nights Japanese. Oh, wow. Mate, honestly, I look at people's collections on Twitter and I cry because as much as I love seeing people sharing that, I'm like, the stuff I had, honestly, like Japanese arcade sticks, racing wheels, um, you know, just literally... See, EMS shipping, mate, it was my best pal from eBay. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> I just remember. And again, I, I, the day that I imported, finally, X-Men vs. Street Fighter to play on my Japanese Saturn. Um, it came in that beautiful cardboard box with a wee insert. You know, you, you open it up, the flap at the top, and the disc sits at the front. There's a wee kind of in, wee cardboard insert that separates the cartridge from the, the, oh, yeah. the, the case. Um yeah. And just playing that for the first time, and that would have been, as I say, I got my, my Dreamcast, uh, what, April 
that the, the, the year, April what, April 99. So that would have been mid-99 was the first time I, I laid eyes on, on X-Men versus Street Fighter because um, I imported it because uh, I'd just started working in, in Safeway part-time and had a wee bit of money and I was at uni and no responsibility. So literally every penny of my wages just went on important Saturn games and Dreamcast games, obviously, uh, picking them up for Charlie's and whatnot. But uh, I could I could literally just sit here and just wax lyrical about important. <laughs> Honestly, I just it's so many memories and so many stories. Just love it so much. What a time! Yeah, I know, mate. Um, I mean, that's what we're here to do. I mean, uh, my show notes for this are very, very brief. <laughs> just, just talking points. I mean, this is just, uh, just uh, <laughs> essentially celebrating our, our stories of importing. Um, I mean, I, I loved it, and we've obviously discussed when we were to, uh, our Sega Saturn, uh, sorry, Sega Dreamcast acquisitions back on our our, our, our anniversary of the of the Dreamcast demise, uh, which our listeners can go back and listen to, but. Uh, yeah, I was very much the same as you. I, I I had to have the Dreamcast early, saving up. I think I was working part time at Perry's at the time, and um, yeah, saved up all my buttons. And uh, I went to went to Watford Computer Exchange, and it was it was Computer Exchange back then, mm-hmm. before it was Sex. And don't haven't they changed? Doesn't it now stand for the Complete Entertainment Exchange? Aye, aye. I mean, it's it's. I think that's amazing. You said that you, you took your sat on there to get input to get uh, to get modded. Like CEX used to be cool. Well, this is the thing, and I think once we start getting on to the end of the episode, we're talking about the near death of the import scene. Uh, we'll touch on this a bit more, but yes, Computer Exchange when they were CEX Computer Exchange, they were phenomenal. They were to me, they were the coolest place on earth. Um, I mean, we we're talking about Akihabara, um, Rathbone Street Computer Exchange felt like the next best thing to me. Um, I mean, I was. <laughs> I was, what was I being in 98? I would have been 15, 14, maybe, with a bag, with a shopping bag with my Sega Saturn in, traveling from North London all the way into central London <laughs> on the tube. On the uh, but <laughs> I didn't think anything of it. Then. Not, where are you off to, mate? Oh, go, go, be sat and chipped. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know if, I, if, if my son. Was uh, going down into London with a computer with a console on his arm. Now I, I, I think I'd go have to go with him. Aye, aye, definitely. <laughs> but uh, back then, yeah, so that was sat under under my arm, you know, carrier bag, dropped it out on the computer exchange thing. So yeah, can I have this modded, please? So oh yeah, it'll be done in a few hours, or it'll be done tomorrow. So I can't remember which way around it was. I think it was my friend, my friend Charlie, who um, he got his satin done at the same time, and uh, he's probably he, he's. Similar to to Sam, mate, he's always been around for um for my gaming thing. I still play with him online today. I played with him last night, um, and uh, he got his Saturn modded the same time or around the same time. I think one of us had to wait a few hours, and the other one had to wait until the next day. Um, so at one point, we were just you know there was a computer exchange, two computer exchanges on Rathbone Street on Tottenham Court Road, and I think we went to both of them. And there was a brilliant arcade. Uh, smack bang in the middle where they used to advertise tournaments on Virtua Fighter and Street Fighter Alpha 3 when that was brand new in the arcade <laughs> before it had a port to anything. Um, I had Street Fighter Alpha down there. They had the Marvel versus games in there. It was just... And Marvel versus Capcom, I first saw that in there. And there was a tournament advertised for that. And I was thinking, oh, one day I'll, I'll go for one of these tournaments. 
but yeah though that was just that was just super special so we'd spend the day down down in london take our consoles down there get them chipped um rove about um and it's one case we had to wait for a while in the other case we had to come back the next day and do it all again but uh oh, fantastic memories mate really really miss those days because <laughs> they, they were just magical no that's that's i think you know they they, they definitely form you know they in, in a way as well it, that affection for sega as well was kind of strengthened you know, I think by the import scene again, just because it felt like an event to get your hands on something new from them. So, you know, again, as we've spoken about already, very globalized gaming now, very clinical. You know, I know people have still got you know like fanboys, especially have got like a like a real attachment to to a piece of plastic, um, but it's not in a a healthy way. You know, it can be quite you know, unhealthy, virtual trolls, or that kind of stuff, um, the stuff you see on Twitter, but like, for us, it's like, it's, it was a passion towards it, like, this was your favourite games company who had given you all these memories, I just think that the fact that they had something new, and it was so near, but so far, like, you see it on the pages of magazines, you know, um, or whenever, like, dial-up internet came out and you, you seen it on like, like, kind of like the early CVG forums and things like that. You, you would talk about towards the end of the Saturn, there was like Saturn versus PlayStation and N64 stuff on there. Uh, and like Dreamcast obviously as well was, was online, but I um, just just brilliant, brilliant days, honestly. Just, it's 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 our, our gaming heritage, you know, it's and I, I really do, I do miss that there's not that kind of that allure, you know, that, that kind of thing where, you know, it's just the, the way you look forward to new games now is it's, it's very clinical. As you said, you download it remotely. Even, but I, I've pre-installed Forza Horizon 5. It'll be ready for me whenever it launches, you know. All right, great. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's convenience, um, but you lose the magic, isn't there? It's like, I mean, um... content is like that now, all over the place, like Spotify, yeah. you know, you want a new album? Why would I go to the shop and buy the CD? I'll just download the album. You know, Netflix, you know, Disney Plus, Jungle Cruise, the new film with The Rock, sit in the cinema, yeah. uh, I'll just lie in my bed and buy it for 20 quid. Conven- yeah. Convenience. And that, that is the way the world is now. People don't want things in six months and a year's time. They wanted it yesterday. Yeah, it's uh, it's, it's like my, um, my son when we were watching Loki. Um, and in between watching Loki, we were watching something else. I think it might have been Clone Wars. I can't remember. But then, like, um, obviously, Loki, you know, they'd show an episode. I think there was something else that came on Netflix at the same time, and we just burned through it all. Um, because that's how Netflix works. It dumps the whole series on, doesn't it? Aye, you just aye. binge it. Um, and he's got all this historic stuff that he'll go through and watch on demand. But then when Loki came on, he's like, oh. It's so annoying that you have to wait a week. Aye. I was like, what? <laughs> what? This, this is what I always had to do. Yeah. I remember, I remember, I remember, right? <laughs> I remember having uh, the the record function on the on the video down in in my uh, my. I was, I must have been early nineties, late eighties uh, when we first had Sky, and we had like a video that you could set a timer on, and uh, the Fun Factory was showing Transformers repeats. And uh, 
I'd record it first thing in the morning because it would probably be the first thing that plays because at that time they were all repeats and the, the series had been out for quite a while by then. Um, I didn't get up early enough and I'd record it. Sometimes I'd get up to watch it and I'd catch it, but I wanted to make sure that I had, and I had loads of VHSs. And uh, I remember I remember one day the uh, I was it was the Insecticons episode and I'd got up and I'd watched it. I was, oh my God, it's the Insecticons. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, and I thought, I'm going to watch it again. And the video had ran out. And I cried my eyes out because I thought I'd lost that episode forever. Uh, I'm never going to be able to. How will I ever watch that <laughs> episode ever again? <laughs> I tried to record it and it failed. <laughs> oh, what? And now you just you just go on anything and you can download them on Amazon or you can go on YouTube or you can torrent them and it's all there. And uh, yeah, it's convenient. You don't have to worry about missing the insecticons episode you don't have to worry about not being able to play um you know the latest um xbox or playstation game but um that little bit of there's a bit of a thrill isn't there the thrill is gone well that's just you're, you're talking about i knew we, i knew where you were going whenever you mentioned netflix and mentioned loki i knew you were going for that week between episodes how would they handle watching the x-files you know what i mean remember that that was torture. Yeah. <laughs> See, what was the episode? Was it Tubes? Was it three parts or something? Oh, that killed me waiting for the next bit of that. <laughs> you know, it was like, come on. You know, a week between episodes um, was was the norm. And else, do you remember you used to have, what was it you used to do with a Ranger video? You would put a, there was a code, a six-digit code, I think it was, printed in the yeah, TV guide. The video like, plus. Aye, video plus. That's it. To make sure you didn't miss it, I've got my video plus code. I ain't missing this shit. And then make sure you've got your tab, your sticker over your tab on your tape so you can record on it. <laughs> oh, man. Honestly, again, everything's convenience. But you know what, mate? I, I would not change growing up in that era for anything. No, I think they should make kids have to wait for stuff. <laughs> and have to go jump through all the hoops they to get it all. so bloody impatient now. Yeah. Oh, oh dear. My, my my daughter stood at the top of the stairs today and went, Dad! Dad! I came up and was like, oh, come in. What's the matter? She literally just thrust her phone in front of me and it was the it was because she needed a password to download the app. I was like, <laughs> have you forgotten how to ask for nice things? Forgotten, <laughs> forgotten, forgotten, you know, you can, you can, you can work your ass off to get that. But I was just thinking, yeah, that's stuff on demand that's being spoiled. I mean, it's, uh, apps are basically games, aren't they? Just oh, well, put a password in straight to your phone. Well, that's that's the thing as well, right? Talk about kids. Disney Plus need to get their finger out and fix us, by the way, right? Because my wee girl is three, right? She loves Puppy Dog Pals, right? On Disney, but after an episode ends. They, they put the credits, right? But they put the credits in about 40 languages. Yeah, and they do it for everything. So she comes up, Daddy, Daddy, pals no work. Because I look at the screen, it's like, Hey, Telemundo Internacional. It's like, what the hell? Why, why do I need to know who does the voice of Bingo and Roly in Spanish? My wee girl wants the next episode and she wanted it yesterday. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, you know, it's a very odd thing, mate, because... <laughs> We found that when watching Loki, and you're like, I wonder if there's a post credit scene, and you go through about 15 minutes of credits in all the different languages, only to find that there isn't one. Aye. Aye. <laughs> but then when you go to start the next the series, when it's the next episode, when it's on next week, 
it starts from the beginning of the credits where he stops last time. It's just like, oh, Jesus Christ, Netflix get this right, Disney, for God's sake. I, I, you, <laughs> just localise your credits, please, Disney. Just tell us who does the voices and who made the programme in the country it's been streamed in. I don't care who does the voice in Spain, France, Germany. Just come on. <laughs> and my wee girl does not have the time or the patience to wait for 10 minutes of credits for the next episode to auto start. So, exactly. People think we're impatient. We wait to see our kids. I exactly, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's why we couldn't wait for Dreamcast, mate. But, <laughs> but, um, I mean, you mentioned CA Games. I think there was, was there a few of other places that you used to get your reports from? Um, I mean, mainly whenever it came to Saturn, it was always eBay. Um, and there was always one particular, I can't remember the seller's name, but his, his prices were really good at that time, obviously, because these were, at that point, old games. They were outgoing system games, so they were dirt cheap. Um, yeah. And again, I always just remember that EMS shipping, um, who were also very good uh, for delivering at the time. I used to pre-order, from again, from a Japanese seller on eBay, the Takara Transformer reissues. Um, so like Zero was Prime I think it was 2 Megatron it was like Starscream, Thundercracker, Skywalker I think I got as far as Hot Rod or Cup I had Insecticons as well but they were beautiful it's another tangent but like, it would be Hot Rod that killed it for I fuck him man um, <laughs> <laughs> interfering sod but the, the boxes were like big books and like you opened them up and they were like Velcro sealed them um, and they had a beautiful kind of like comic book artwork uh, on the front, uh, and it was like a window, two windows inside, and on the right hand side you had the transformer and their alt mode, and then on the left hand side you had like all their weapons, their fists, or any of their kind of accessories and their sticker sheet. But it was, it was so beautifully done. Again, they're all long gone, but um, I used to import them as well. So I mean, eBay was a big place to go in terms of physically picking a game up new like for the Dreamcast it was it was mainly CA games I went to GeForce sometimes GeForce never quite gave me the same enthusiast vibe they were very they were no bad they, some people that did like them I mean they used to break street dates on PAL stuff and give you games like two days early in the kind of Xbox and PS2 era but as an importer I never got the feel that they were passionate about it. Whereas, like, Charlie, I think he spoke a bit of Japanese. Um, the the guy, I forget his name, we used to call him the Ginger Ninja. He, <laughs> oh, honestly, he used to, dead thin guy, ginger, ginger hair, and he used to wear a, a kind of three-quarter length leather jacket, right? But what what a boy, man. Friendliest guy you'd ever chat to. Um, and he'd be behind the, the counter. And then they had another guy that worked in the store, um, and he actually spoke like native Japanese. So, like, if you were asking about games, or if you bought a game that maybe you were having trouble with, then you could. Next thing you're in, you could talk away to them, and they would help you out. And all right, so that's what that says. And they would they would write things down for you and, and let you know, you know what that meant. So, CA games always felt cooler. It always had that enthusiast vibe, whereas G Force felt very high street. It was. They never really they cared about taking your money and they would give you the games, but they, they weren't enthusiastic about them. Whereas 
Charlie's was just oh, you talked about how like you that's that computer exchange and it was just like a, a an Aladdin's cave. Like that's what Charlie's was. Uh, especially whenever they expanded the story, bought the the premises next door. Whenever they shut down, I think it was a gift shop, and he knocked through. Um, and his his shop was just so much bigger, and the Dreamcast used to be in the the far, uh, kind of right corner. So like basically similar idea to where the Saturn like was because the shop that he knocked into was to the left. So the Dreamcast now sat where the Saturn used to sit, but his cash desk was a way over to the other side of the shop. Um, and I, it was just so much stuff, honestly. Um, and obviously there was like PlayStation 2 stuff in there. And here, I'll tell you a funny story about PlayStation 2, right? And <laughs> import elitists, right? I've told, I think I've told you this one, what's that? This is Anity Save Us for the podcast. And Sam will remember this as well, right? So CA Games was off Byers Road in Cresswell Lane in a place called De Courses Arcade, right? And just up the roads was the old BBC studios in Queen Margaret Drive. And you used to get like people for like uh like tune the fat. Like, I've, I've met Greg Hempel in CA Games that does uh, plays Victor and still game. Oh, wow. But at the point, the big thing they were doing was called Tune the Fat. I'm going to know do that. How? Just going to know. If you're Scottish, you'll know that instantly, right? But they used to get staff in as well. And there was this guy, right? And this is after I'd imported my Dreamcast and PlayStation 2. And Charlie had got a PlayStation 2 in, right? He didn't have them to sell. He couldn't get stock, but he had a PlayStation 2 in running Ridge Racer, Ridge Racer 5. Mm. And uh, this guy's standing there, immaculate looking. Receding hairline, shaved in wee circular specks, with his wee blonde goatee, and he's standing there watching it. And I'm, I'm looking at Dreamcast games, and Sam's potting about, and I just innocently turns around to Charlie and says, "Charlie, much of these PS2 is going to be whenever you get them." And this dickhead goes, "If you're asking, you obviously can't afford one." Oh, God. Oh, God. Shut up! It's like. <laughs> I've got a Dreamcast in the house, mate. Cost me 495 quid. But just this judgmental dick. But just that was the kind of really, really funny story. It was just obviously some people just wanted to be an arse. But that was always a really funny story. We still talk about that to this day. Remember that guy in Charlie's that said he can't afford a PS2? Uh, but no, it was just, it was literally, he always had, somehow, he always had the latest stuff. And I need to come back to you, mate, because I don't have a clue where we're meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> Tangents oh, insider. It's, it's all there, it mate. It's all it is for sharing import stories. Um, just because, just, and just our love of the scene. Just because uh, all I asked was, is there anyone else? But all it is. is That's what you asked me. On. There you go. It's just, yeah, because, well, for me, it was just computer exchange. And uh, yeah, it was. It's funny you you saying about the the two you know you had CA games which was you know especially when it's expanded it was like amazing and that's what computer exchange in London was to me but uh, I remember when they opened the Watford branch and that's where I bought my Dreamcast from my import Dreamcast and yeah we covered this off in the Dreamcast episode around that's when I got Get Bass and House of the Dead I traded in a bunch of games that uh, I give an arm for right now but <laughs> <laughs> you and me both mate. Yeah, but uh, Watford felt a lot more clinical, uh, a lot more. It did feel like a franchise. It, it felt like uh, Rathbone was where there was it was the heart of it all. But um, 
built by fans. And I remember downstairs, they had a whole Neo Geo section in there. And that was just, wow. oh, amazing. Just some of the stuff in there. Um, and uh, yeah, in Computer Exchange in Watford, it was a lot more, a lot similar to what it is kind of like now. Um, but it was still very much just games and it had tons of import stuff uh, and it had loads of retro stuff and modding services. People were still modding their Playstations, their Saturns, Mega Drives. I remember they were modding a Power Mega Drives, Play 60 Hertz. Um, and all, it was all done on the high street. It was That was the brilliant thing about it. Uh, and yeah, me and my mate Charlie would go up there and, and grab the, the, the latest things, whether it was, you know, I've told the story about when we got our Dreamcast. He got his first, and I got mine a few weeks later. Um, we both got us. Saturn's modded in uh, in Rathbone Street, and uh, yeah, there was games like he got X Men versus Street Fighter. I got Marvel Super Heroes versus Street Fighter. He got Radiant Silver Gun. He sold his copy, so I had to get a copy of Radiant Silver Gun, and uh, it's just just some of the most amazing games and some of my favorite games are all from from that period and it's why stuff like radiant silver gun the capcom versus games sonic adventure sega rally 2 why those games are still so special to me now mm-hmm. probably because of that affinity that i built for them people can say that certain games have got flaws but when you when you how when you go through that sort of that sort of journey to acquire the game and you get it and you take it home and it feels like everything that you that you wanted it's it, i think it's forever cements it as a, as something that you love no 100 percent. i think that that word you used it as well journey um you know it's again because obviously we're adults now and we've got our salaries and we can pretty much buy whatever we want but again with the wife's permission, with the, well, I, you know, I wasn't going to put that. I was, I was going to leave that out, mate. I was going to just try and maybe try and pass it off to our listeners that we are men. We can buy what we please with our wages, but no, we, uh, uh, darling, uh, I was looking at a, I was looking at a game on the Xbox Store. It's four pounds. Can I buy it, please? <laughs> Did you buy a game last week? Yeah. Well, yes, possibly, um, but I, it's. I think again, just the fact that you were looking from afar and you you kind of went with your friends and you kind of had a shot at a game or you you would you would always see it was a game you wanted. You always would walk in and how often did you walk in? It was a game you couldn't afford at the time, and you would just go to the shop anyway and just pick the case up. Oh, all the time, just all the time. Just look at the case. I mean, when we used to make our make make our pilgrimages to. <laughs> To computer exchange in London, it was most of the time we'd be we we both worked part time, you know, picking car parts for Perry's um, as an after school and weekend job, and that got us, you know, I think it got us a couple of hundred pound a month at most, maybe a hundred pound a month, and then because we were on two pound thirty four an hour, I remember that. <laughs> wow. And then in the summer, in the holidays, we'd work it. And I think that's how we afforded to get the, the like Easter holidays when we saved up to get our Saturn's chips and everything in 98. Um, and again, when, when it came to the Dreamcast in 99. Um, but then we'd only have a limited amount of budget. You know, it was uh, it was seven quid to get your travel card back then. Um, people were probably thinking, wow, that's cheap. <laughs> yeah, that, was a, that was a chunk of change out of your, out of your paycheck. And then... You know, uh, you have to get the you have to get the bus to the train station, and you, you, you're there. And you, if you stay in there for the day, you got to grab something to eat. 
Um, so you can't really buy more than a few games. So you'd spend a lot of the time, especially with the new releases. Um, and as I said, Computer Exchange had them, you know, a lot of the time they had them behind glass or whatever, you know, taunting you. But where there was like, where it is now, if you imagine Computer Exchange, it is, or it's not even Computer Exchange anymore, it's just sex, isn't it? With a complete entertainment exchange or whatever they call it. I feel like it's a different entity. But, you know, imagine where you've got all the DVDs or the games and everything. Rather than DVDs, there's just more games. And rather than just power games, it's games from everywhere. And rather than just being Xbox, Sony, Nintendo, you've got <laughs> you've got PC Engine, Sega, you've got Neo Geo, you've got Casio Loopies on show, you've got all sorts of weird and wonderful stuff, 3DOs, Jaguars... <laughs> everything you can imagine not just behind the tiny little retro section in the shop window but racks of them going back as far as you could see um it's just uh yeah I spent a lot of time picking up um, well should i pick this one up well but if i get that one and this one then that's only 40 pounds together but i really want this one you know I, for this price i could probably get i remember going in and i i it was a choice between it was a choice between i think tomb raider and uh god i think it was uh street fighter alpha 2 no it wouldn't have been alpha 2 i think it was street fighter apple 1 um but then i ended up picking up <laughs> baku baku animal and the x-men children of the atom because they were disc only <laughs> <laughs> japanese versions and they were just a few quid i was playing baku baku yesterday actually oh it's brilliant guys. oh it's bloody nuts it is. So the set, the, <laughs> that's another one. The Japanese version's got exclusive modes of music, and the PAL version's completely different. There you go. Why do we import? So, exactly, mate. So, yeah, um, just, uh, yeah, just some brilliant memories there, mate. Um, I think it did at one point change forever, um, which re- really sticks in my mind. Um, it just, because I was importing. I didn't. I stopped importing as much when the Dreamcast died. Um, yeah, same. And I've, I've got to admit, at that point, I fell a little, little bit out of love with the hobby. When the Dreamcast went, I didn't get PS2. I think it must have been 2002. After I'd played GTA because I remember, I thought it was 2001, but it must have been 2002 because I'd got Metal Gear Solid 2 not long after. Um, and the PS2 didn't really set a fire in me the way that Sega did. Um, and I kind of fell out of love with hobby, the hobby until I got Halo. Wow. Later that year. Um, that kind of reignited it for me. And that's why today I do have a preference for Xbox. Mm-hmm. I'm not an Xbox because I don't really have that much funness for the brand. I'm, I'm probably a Halo fanboy more first and foremost, but not an Xbox one. Um, but yeah, I didn't really import that much. Although I was still... I would still go to ebay and i remember uh, i remember getting a box of sega junk and that had a, uh, a genesis copy of streets of rage and a japanese baseball game and stuff and that was a tenor. <laughs> and that came with two dreamcast and a and a and a, and a mega drive too that were all broken Bloody which, hell. Were, which were all resurrected <laughs> but um yeah i just remember the big thing with leak sang in the mid 2000s yes i um, yep because they were massive on on importing, weren't they? Um, because Sony had it in for them almost immediately. Just remember it being in the. Didn't Sony sue them? Yeah, I. Um, 
didn't matter if you were big or small. Um, Sony were very aggressive on, especially around the time of the PlayStation 2. Um, yeah. Because, again, when it comes to Charlie's, um, he... I've been told since that from people who, who worked with Charlie that he was kind of getting tired of the business um, and was yeah. maybe looking to get out. But um, basically, Sony cut him off um, when it came to PAL stock because he, he stocked PS2 and PSP, um, which also bought for him a PSP, a Japanese PSP. But the Sony... Just basically, like with Lixang, and I remember the thing with Lixang so well. Um, they just basically sued the ass off them um, over imports, yeah. and again, that is possibly when you started to see the kind of shift towards the modern gaming we have now, where they didn't want you to kind of have access to to what you weren't meant to have access to. You know, it just no, you can't have Japanese stuff. You know, and if you try to sell Japanese stuff, then we'll just take your PAL stuff off you. And then if you're not a PlayStation authorized reseller, then you don't do business. Yeah. It's uh, because they obviously always try to control regions. Uh, everyone from Nintendo initially, and I think Nintendo were very aggressive on it, especially in America. But I mean, that's part of the reason why there's a bigger redesign of the, of the NES and the, and, the, and, the, and the SNES and even Sega with the redesign of the, of the Genesis over there. Um, obviously, the PAL version of the Mega Drive used the same cards, but there was a lot of frequency lockout. Um, but there was never anything that attacked the industry quite like Sony did. And I remember at the time, that's when I was really disappointed with the way that they acted. And I felt the change almost overnight. And that was when you really, because I remember 2004 going into, and I had a, a, a girlfriend that lived in Birmingham at the time. Um, and I remember going into a, a, a CEX in Birmingham and they still had Japanese versions of Street Fighter 3 Double Impact, Street Fighter 3 Third Strike, a bunch of Japanese games in the wall. And then it felt like a few months later that that wall was gone. Um, the modern services were no more. Mm-hmm. The imports were no more. The entire scene had been killed by Sony. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, I think... It's not as if there wasn't a lack of demand for it. The, the, the fans were still out there that wanted it. But I think a lot of, especially high street, you know, maybe companies like Computer Exchange before they, they morphed into what they are just now, they were maybe frightened into taking those modern services away, frightened into to taking the import games off the shelves. Nobody bothered until now, but all of a sudden, with the sign thing, it definitely sent you know ripples through the the retail you know community when it came to to imports. Absolutely, mate. It's uh, it really did um, because I don't I, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if if CEX were approached by Sony um, or threatened, but. It, even if they weren't, just what happened to Leak Sang just really set a precedent, and I think that just scared everyone. So it was so as you say, Charlie Sharp Shop, Computer Exchange completely closed. Um, everything was changed forever after that. Um, and what did Sony do a couple of years after? It's like they were taunting everyone by making the PS3 region free. Hi. <laughs> <Wankers. laughs> 
as, as I say, I mean, we've both talked highly about Sony and PlayStation games on this podcast. Uh, love Sony consoles, love a lot of their games, but I, I can't stand the company a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Some of the stuff that they've done, I feel, is really dishonest, underhand, uh, and that time's harmful. Yeah, and, uh, it's killed, they killed Sega and they killed importing for a spell. And also, basically, the the two aspects of of our gaming growing up is that they they, they stood in its throat and you know cut, yeah, choked it out, choked it out, mate. But I mean. If you could pick one import memory, what's he, I've got one straight away um, that I can think of. That when I think of that whole magical coming together of being in CA games and and seeing imports, there's one thing that comes to mind. But what, what for you? If you could pick one one import Sega related memory that just stands out, have you got one? Yeah, definitely. It's definitely getting my Sega Saturn switched and just seeing these rows and rows of Japanese games for me to finally, you know, start playing, start enjoying <laughs> because um, taking Marvel superheroes versus street fighter home was genuinely, genuinely like nothing else. It felt like, uh, it felt like a game that was next gen <laughs> because of the way, <laughs> um, and it's still a game that's out, that's, that stands out now. I mean, you had, you had, Obviously, the Saturn's 3D capabilities weren't... Uh, developers struggled with them. But in, when it came to 2D, it was ahead of the pack. And when you put the 4-meg RAM card in, which is Japan only, it was just uh, transformative because nothing looked like X-Men versus Street Fighter or Marvel Super Heroes versus Street Fighter. So being able to bring that home, and I played that game religiously for absolute ages, and it's the one I still put on now. Um, and then just kept going back there on a regular basis, what's new, going back with Radiant Silver Gun, Castlevania. Um, those memories are stick from me forever because we've we spent so much time just picking through those lineups of games. Um, so many on the store shelves. But yeah, the getting that, that Saturn switched first time was just that just that that amazing experience that uh, offer of Because this is the thing, mate, as much as... As much as I do love picking up the Dreamcast, um, it doesn't stick in them. It, it it doesn't resonate as much as getting the Saturn Switch. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's because the Saturn was the first time I'd imported. I'd imported a game rather than a console, um, and the Saturn, the Dreamcast was great. But I think, and I think it's all, a lot of it is to do with the environment as well, because in the, when I took the Saturn, when I took my Saturn down to Computer Exchange in London, it was very much. You know, super enthusiasts in there. The, the, you know, games were kind of celebrated, as I say, all in glass cases. You know, held aloft. You know, coveted these amazing things, these beautiful exotic games. And in Watford, it was very much just similar to what CEX is like today, albeit all games and some and imports. But it's very cold, uh, and it was great to get my Dreamcast from there. But it didn't have the, uh, and I was excited. But it didn't. It doesn't resonate the same way that mm-hmm. that the Saturn does. But how about you, mate? Yours is going to be the the Dreamcast, isn't it? It is. Um, and again, Sam and I used to to time uh, a weekly walk up to CA Games for whenever Charlie would get a delivery in, and just flicked it. That one morning we were in, and the big box came in, and it was Shenmue that, oh, yeah. that was in. Um, and I, I, the amount of times that we've been in and seen Charlie opening up a box of deliveries, 
he's he always used to take them out. He would compare it, write, you know, tick it off. I would usually watch him gabbing away at him and he would tick it off his invoice. He got six of them, four of them. But whenever he opened up and it was Shenmue, literally he took a copy out, he ripped it open, and he put it in a Dreamcast. And I just remember, like, we'd obviously, you know, I'd had the Project Berkeley CD with Virtua Fighter 3. Um, you'd obviously, you'd been reading about Shenmue and whatnot. Um, but standing there and just watching that scene where he runs up the hill, the, the, the dojo signs cracked in half, he glances across and sees the black car, uh, walks in, and obviously he talks to, you know, the, the, wee, the wee old lady that's, that's that mans the house, and then, you know, Fuxan goes flying at the door and he walks in and he's confronted by Landy standing there and you see him, the eyes scanning the scene. And it's, it's all been spoken in Japanese. We didn't have a clue what was being said. <laughs> no. <laughs> didn't have a clue what was being said. Um, but jaws on the floor. Um, and I just remember at the at the point whenever Landy picks up Ryu's father, I said, oh, I've said that on here before, I've told you, I just remember Charlie standing up and going, Lord Sega has spoken. This this is amazing. <laughs> you couldn't believe, I think, is and to see that reaction from somebody, because he had been in business like since the Mega Drive times, just we never knew of him until like, the, the Saturn either, but he had been in business, you know, for long before that. And to see that level of sheer excitement from him um, was just brilliant. And it, it did feel at that point that, oh my God, this is like Sega have knocked it at the park. They've got the system, they've got the graphics. Look at this game. When this comes out over here, it's going to be outstanding. And again, that, that I'll always go back to that. That that to me was just like the, the pinnacle of, of, of that kind of environment where just the guy who owned the shop, who'd always been enthusiastic and his staff had always been enthusiastic and so helpful and so into the Japanese scene. But to see that reaction, that even he believed that it was Sega's time, Sega had spoken, uh, and this this game was like nothing you'd ever seen. And it wasn't at that time. The, the rippling clothes, the eye scanning the scene, you know, individual fingers on hands, just, you know, spoken language, lip syncing to... To, as best you could at that point to the to the words on screen, just amazing. What what a memory! I I will literally never forget that. What a memory indeed, man. That's what you need is just that that enthusiasm and that and that just that that whole love for the for the hobby. Sorely missing, unfortunately. I mean, I think we're lucky now that important it still exists to an extent, mm. albeit all done through online stores. So you don't get any of that of that warmth of that um, fervor that you used to get when you were in the store. Um, obviously, I, I, I import a lot of retro stuff now. And I think all modern consoles are region-free now, aren't they? I pretty much. I mean, yeah. you, when it comes to like digital stuff, like I know people can use VPNs. And someday, I remember, what was that I bought? I bought a game on Xbox. I can't remember what it was. It was a couple of months ago. Um, and somebody told me, oh, you could have got it for this place on the Argentinian store. Um, but apparently if you use a VPN and use a, a code for a different store on your Xbox, you can risk getting your account banned uh, as someone with a Series S and 163 Xbox games, I cannot afford to have my account <laughs> banned <laughs> so uh, I just kind of 
left that one by the wayside and thanked him very much for for looking at for me and, and the info. But I would just let it be. But yeah, it's in terms of disc. I think I don't think discs are region locked anymore. I think you could put an American disc into a, a UK machine and they would work. I don't think region locking is a thing anymore at all. No, I don't think it is. Um, which is which is a good thing. It's just a shame that, and it's like it's like everything in the modern day, mate. They don't have the bricks and mortar stores, and these uh, in these bustling, you know, physical communities where everyone comes in, um, squeeze in, and peer through the racks and uh, look out to you know fight their way to the front of the queue to get what the latest import import is. So sadly, those days are gone. But. Uh, the, the 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 method of importing is still alive and well, as you say. I still I've been importing en masse. <laughs> Hi, <laughs> for, no shit for Sega, for Sega consoles. Um, um, hope try trying to trying to stay breaking even. <laughs> I'm still I'm still hopeful that maybe one day a nice wee cheap Japanese Dreamcast pops up and I can just fling you a few quid to. To cover it, yeah. um, if not, then Retro Face getting an order for a an orange <laughs> box Japanese Dreamcast. Who the brilliant prices, by the way. So, yeah. um, I hundred percent. If if I don't get one through your through yourself, then Retro Face might be getting a VDM yeah. for an order. <laughs> At the moment, no no luck on my end, mate. I'm afraid to oh, say. I'm looking out for the Saturn 3D pad and uh, and the and the Dreamcast, but. Uh, they seem to be very much in demand at the moment, but um, I'll keep trying, mate. <laughs> but yeah, um, I hope that uh, I do hope that our listeners have enjoyed our our import stories and our and our, our discussion around the the love of importing. Um, I've really enjoyed chatting through this and sharing these memories, mate. I think it's been uh, that's been, been blowing, a, been a blunt. absolutely blowing. Yeah, so uh, we'll throw it back to our listeners. Though, thanks, thanks so much for listening and tuning in. We'd love to hear your memories. Did you import? Where did you import from? What are your favourite import moments? What were your favourite import games? Please reach out to us. You can find us on Twitter. I'm underscore D. James is the Sagaholic. We are the Sega guys. Speak to you soon. Stay Sega. Stay retro. Cheers, guys. Thank you.